It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat, blood, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold, timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. These are the rules of the arena. Welcome everyone to episode 26. Joining me as always is Ben, my co-host, and Hello. he's actually pulling double duty this week as co-host and producer. And we also have Carlos in yeah. studio with us tonight, yeah. who you might know from uh, as a panelist and co-host of uh, Department of Offense from Blind Ninja Studios. And we are, I'm thankful to say that we are finally back in the studio after a couple weeks off uh, we had Easter weekend, and then last week I was out of town. It was way too busy to sneak in an episode here and there. So many excuses. <laughs> You're one to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and if, of course, if you follow Ben's uh, Duck Hill Workshop on Facebook you and Instagram, uh, you might you notice should. he's been working like a damn fiend. Uh, he's got a brand new shiny logo oh, and a true. polished website and looking all <clears throat> fancy over there. And it's almost professional. It's Yeah, almost, but not quite. <laughs> ben, how, how are are things going at the shop these days? Uh, things are good. I'm working like crazy. I'm building a live edge desk for my mom out of ash and maple that uh, I milled last year. So that's really satisfying. I didn't realize how satisfying it would be to work with timber that I've harvested and milled myself. So, what about the silver maple that you cut down? That is <clears throat> eighty foot chainsaw. Yeah. Well, that's what um, the vineyard panels that if you go to my YouTube channel, Duck Hill Workshop. Uh, you will find the the what I just finished, the video that just went up this morning is veneering those silver maple panels. And that came from this giant silver maple we took out of a friend's yard in West, over here in Wisconsin. With an 80-foot chainsaw. It's five feet. <laughs> five feet. 60, 60 inches, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Most importantly, though, uh, today we have my friend Mike O'Hara uh, in studio, head brewer and uh, Fruit Falls, Wisconsin local brewery, Swing Bridge Brewing Company. If any of you have listened to the early days of Blind Ninja Studio show Homebrew Bound, you might remember Mike from his from the early homebrew days. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming down tonight, and please introduce yourself to folks listening at home that don't know you. Hi, I'm Mike with Swinging Bridge Brewing Company. <laughs> Carson, good to meet y'all. Very uh, succinct. Yeah, <laughs> Mike. Uh, so, like I said, you're on Homebrew Bound a few years back. Uh, what got you into homebrewing? Honestly, man, I I was uh, I traveled a lot when I was younger, and that gave me the opportunity to try a bunch of craft beers from all over the country before the craft beer you know movement really happened, and so I. I guess I, I, I had a love for it, you know, before I was 21, but <laughs> um, there was an accident that occurred where I got laid off from work, and uh, I started researching homebrew kits and was really interested in the, the whole fermentation process, and when I, I got my retroactive unemployment check, I decided to buy a homebrew kit so I could produce beer for half the price. <laughs> <laughs> Wife wasn't so happy about it, but uh, beer started turning out pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, how much research were you putting in before buying the equipment? Because I just did a, if you listen to Homebrew Bound, I just did a beer with Casey, and 
kind of caught the bug a little bit and looking at the cost of homebrew equipment now and it's stupid expensive yeah it's definitely increased in price as the hobby kind of took off but um and it really eats up a lot of uh space in your we're in your house yeah <laughs> or you know in other people's houses if you're gordon and you decide just keep all your shit here <laughs> <laughs> I how much i appreciate you carlos <laughs> it didn't take long before my wife kicked me out of the kitchen and i had to start building a bigger system in the garage so yeah i i got that that homebrew kit and uh, it started really taking off, and um, I guess the research that I was doing were more so on like the do-it-yourself kits rather than like going out and buying all the equipment, the expensive brew systems and whatnot. So I figured out how to alter old beer kegs into brewing kettles and mash tons and all that. So I ended up setting up about a half-barrel system in my garage, and it. I mean, it took off. I basically it had the same thing as a professional system, but scaled down. So yeah, for, like I've been looking at mash tons and brew kettles and shit like that, and I mean, it's five hundred bucks. However, it's the Cadillac model. There's everything you want. I mean, you're saying, how, I mean, how much DIY customization did you have to put into it? Was it the whole thing, or did you? Yeah, get, like here's my base model. I'm just going to tweak it till it's where I want it to be. Yeah, basically. So I bought the first homebrew kit, and that came with everything that I needed to get started on the stove. And then I got sick of extract because my palate, I guess, had already been a little defined, so I could tell the difference between extract and all grain. So I started going all grain, and that's where I went all completely do it yourself so i had a bunch of like metal fabricators that were helping me and the job that i used to work at at a factory was getting rid of a bunch of stuff and it turned out some of the stuff they were getting rid of i could have used like uh, we cut holes in this cart and mounted burners underneath it so that was like my you know to hold the kettle and the mash tun so yeah everything after the first kit was all do it yourself you put it on a cart like what kind of cart were we talking about here it's like a metal framed cart that has wheels on the bottom of it. And then we put diamond plated steel on the top. It was like an open ended cart pretty much that you put a piece of wood on to make a table. Mm-hmm. We took the wood out, put that diamond plated steel in, cut holes in it, and then mounted the burners underneath the steel. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Like uh, how hot did that uh, the diamond plated steel get like when you're cooking? It warped. It warped. <laughs> so after the first initial go around, we definitely had to take some uh, some steel screws and like go through it and like <clears throat> bolt it all down to keep it from warping up. But, but it's really mobile though. I mean, it is. It <laughs> is. I could push it in the corner of the garage and you wouldn't even know it was there anymore. So that what, definitely helped. The first beer that you did, you started with extract kits. What was that beer that you did? Do you remember? Oh, gosh, that was Midwest Supplies kit for a rye IPA. How'd it turn out? I think it turned out pretty good. There was a, definitely more hops in it because I overpurchased the hops. <laughs> I like beyond the kit. I was like, okay, I know I'm going to want more hops than this. So. I think, it, it, I mean, looking back on it, I it, probably not the best beer, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it turned out it was drinkable. Not a bad first beer. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Not a not an imperial stout that has blown up 
two or three times and made a mess in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, what you're missing is it's somebody else's basement, though. So, I mean, I don't. So, that sounds so like the kid. right way to do things. <laughs> yeah, if you can get away with it, somebody else's basement is the way to do, like, store your beer. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, when do you switch it over to All Grain? I mean, what were you brewing then at that point? Um, well, my first All Grain brew that we did was the original version of Captain Tripp's. Ch- chocolate toasted coconut stout that we do at Swinging Bridge. So that one that one actually did so well that we we won a, a local competition first place stout category and then we entered it into the AHA national competition and took first place regionally beating out people in North Carolina to get into the main competition. But uh, score wise, I don't think they did a third place. So there was first and second, but we scored like 42 out of 50. Not bad. Yeah, that's pretty pretty good score so for the AHA. Out there. I actually <laughs> got to have one of the, the first batch, your commercial batch of Captain Trips when you did that up at Pitchfork. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Arrow's pot of gold. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so your, your home brewing, for how many years did you do home brewing for before you started to think, you know, I want to work at a brewery? I started homebrewing, I think, in like 2009, and um, I always had, you know, once I got going, one of the things about me is I have ADD, and when I find something that I like, you know, you hyper-focus on it, so I really enjoyed brewing and like went down that rabbit hole, so it was always something in the back of my mind that I know I'd love to do, but never could wrap my head around getting all the paperwork together and actually doing it. It just seemed like it was such a far-fetched idea, thinking of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's like, how the hell am I going to come up with that? <laughs> but Yeah, so there's always something in the back of my mind that I wanted to do. And, well, that's where I first met you, is when you started working up at Pitchfork, and you actually trained me in yep. on my very first day. <laughs> yep, yep, I remember that. Yeah, oh, walked in, and Sarah goes, yeah, do you want a job? I'm like, yeah, sure, great, come in Saturday. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> that's par for the course, Gordon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll learn on the fly. Right. Uh, why did you start working at Pitchfork and why not another local brewery, especially here in the Twin Cities now? I mean, there's a plethora of different places to choose from. Well, one thing, um, you know, I was I was a regular at Pitchfork, really enjoyed Mike's beers a lot. And that's how I, I got in in the tap room. Uh, it was because they needed help just like you. Is that, you know, hey, do you want a little extra cash? And so I started working behind the bar for, I think, about two years. And... Um, I was in a pretty bad situation at a factory I was in and being friends with Mike, you know, we would talk about what was going on at the factory and he finally just had enough of it as much as I did and offered me a job like you need to get away from the factory, you know, so I think at that point that was the pivotal pivotal point in my life where I knew that was the industry I wanted to work in because I was making 23 bucks an hour. And I literally walked into HR and put my tool belt on her desk and said, today's the last day. I'm done. I'm not putting up with any more of this. And then went to work at Pitchfork for a whopping $13 an hour. <laughs> Again, my wife was super happy with me. <laughs> but, you know, that, that was who else to better learn from? The mic, you know, I mean, that's he, he's got so much knowledge up in his head. 
sometimes he's a nerd, but <laughs> a <little he's>, bit. <laughs> he really knows the stuff when it comes to brewing. So it's, you know, what better place for me to learn than, you know, on a, on a system like that? I mean, w- was it a weird transition for me going from, uh, you know, five or well, a half barrel in your garage to all of a sudden at Pitchwork, you're doing a five barrel system and now you're at Swing Bridge? Yeah, definitely. Because in the back of your mind, it's there's a lot of money involved. You know, so if on a home brewing scale, it's like you make a small mistake, eh, dump that down the toilet, we'll start over again, and it's like 40 bucks down the drain. You know, here we're talking hundreds of dollars of ingredients. So you got to be on your game, you know. So it was definitely a little nerve wracking at first, but, you know, over time with the base knowledge that I had coming from home brewing, you know, Mike kept instilling that in my head, just trust your trust your knowledge, trust your knowledge, you know, just don't second guess yourself. And that's where my, I guess, uh, niche came into play, like where it wasn't so distraught doing it, you know, it's just I felt more comfortable at that point, you know. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a transition. Um, scaling recipes was definitely a new game you know you can't just use the same amount of hops it's you'd have ridiculous ibus through the roof so it's like (laughs) you know learning how to do that and i guess just basically calming myself down you know that was the big thing is you know don't worry about it you know as long as you trust your process you'll be good find it easier because you started with the homebrew background versus and then then transitioning into it for over do you think if you went to school for it for example with no homebrew experience and jumped right into commercial do you think you kind of had that advantage to fall back on you know i i guess i wouldn't say it as an advantage but more so i had the passion coming into the game you know it's like there's some people that go through those schools and come out and think that it's like an exact science and you need to follow this. And it really, there's a different approach to it too. If you want to go the artisan way of things, as long as you understand what's going on and know how to pull it off, it's, it's have fun. You know, at that point it's like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. So, <laughs> you know, and I, I could never see myself like diving into like, you know, molecular biology or anything like that. So it's, I don't know. Right. I, oh, I failed high school chemistry, and all of a sudden I'm brewing beer and going, oh, my God, there's a lot of sh- there's a shitload of chemistry in this. But when would you ever use that again in your life? Well, now that I'm brewing beer. <laughs> and I mean, to I be fair, it it's not the chemistry that you had to do in chemistry class of, so like, the different separate, like, uh, uh, periodic table elements. No, like it's no. It's like combining them to molecules. It's Thankfully, not that. I'd probably melt pennies to the ceiling again out of boredom. <laughs> So, Mike, going, uh, when exactly did the idea for Swingbridge first begin to form? Did you, uh, your partner, uh, Dustin, did he approach you or did you approach him? Yeah, actually, um, it's kind of a funny story. Um, working at Pitchfork, uh, my name was kind of getting out there with some of the homebrews and winning the awards and stuff like that, too. Um Dustin and his cousin actually formed the concept for Swinging Bridge. And a friend of mine went into Ace Hardware, where the former partner was working. And there was a conversation about, do you know any brewers? And my number got passed. So Dustin and them approached me. And um, we sat down and 
things were kind of rocky at first, obviously, because, you know, they didn't know where they were coming from and I didn't know where I was coming from. So uh, it took a little while for a lot of details to get worked out. And then we finally settled on a nice agreement and a, a decent space to do it at. And and it all just kind of happened. <laughs> I mean, did the name, was the name Swingbridge there first, or was it that we want to do a brewery and we'll, and then Swingbridge name came down the line later? Yeah, yeah the name did come down the line later. Uh, the, the name was in place when I came in to the game, but wasn't actually finalized, and we did settle on it, and we figured, you know, that'd be a nice, uh, a nice thing for the community as well. Like they could, you know, it's not just something that we made up like, you know, bad habit or, you know, some, this has meaning in the town, mm-hmm. you know, and there is an actual swinging bridge in town that you can go visit. So we thought that'd be neat. Yeah. So what are you, you're two years in now? Yeah. A little over two years. Mm-hmm. We had our second anniversary on St. Patrick's day. Nice. All right. Yep. I, I kind of remember most of your grand opening. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I was in a cast, probably on some painkillers, and I know I drank probably close to two bottles of Bushmills with some friends that day. So. <laughs> I remember, like, uh, I was going to get turned away at the door, and, like, you passed me anyways. I'm pretty sure that probably put you guys over the fire limit. Oh, yeah. We turned away the fire chief at... We didn't even know it was him, and we were well (laughs) over capacity at that point. And yeah, that was a fun day, definitely. I'm actually now a member of the Mug Club. I joined uh, this, like you had the last sign up, I joined up for that. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you. I remember, yeah, like, so me and a bunch of friends, we could, we treat. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, like Thanksgiving, we cooked this big dinner, blah, blah. It was the day before we were going to do this dinner. I'm like, well, I have a shitload I got to get done today. I'm going to go down. I'm going to go see my buddy Mike. I'm going to support him. I'm going to buy two beers, and then I'm going to go home. (laughs) Yeah, the famous two-beer Gordon. (laughs) We're only going for two beers. (laughs) <laughs> Two turned into a lot. Like 25. Yeah. I wasn't drinking. I just had beer. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do the Gordon math where like when he talks about beer, he's talking about his session beers that are bizarre. Yeah, so you got to break down like this 12% beer into how many like 4% beers is that? That's three <laughs> each. So that's at least six beers. You're looking at. But I, I easily had at least a six pack of the what you had on tap there. I'm like, this is really good. God damn it. I, now I'm spending more money than I probably need to. <laughs> but for you, how did it feel? I mean, you when you first knew and you realized like this is my career now. I got I'll be honest, it's still sinking in. Mm-hmm. It's uh I don't know. I've had kind of a a, a, a funny upbringing, I guess, you know, a, a different upbringing than a lot of folks. So for something like this, it's almost like I don't know. I I have a hard time coming to terms with it because it's like, did I really catch this break? You know, like, is this really happening? You know, and then, I mean, I go through bad days at times, you know, it's definitely a a rough industry to be in. But at the end of the day, when I go home and it's like, holy shit, (laughs) like I, 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 I put myself out there. I did everything I could to, like, get into this industry and do what I want to do. And here it is. It was handed to me on a silver platter. It's like. Mm -hmm. It's tough to, I don't know. I, I try to be humble about it. My wife definitely gets like the weird end of things, like where I go off about it. But 
I don't know. It, I, I still, I still come to terms with it on a daily basis. It's, it's awesome. I mean, it's how does awesome. she feel now that you know, post you spending all this money on the homebrew equipment and then taking this risk of leaving your safe job, working for Pitchfork, and then you know, you're now part of a new brewery. Who knows where that's going to go? Yeah, that was definitely. Uh, well, she hasn't killed you. I mean, you're obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, you know, there definitely were some rough times because that's in any business, you have to take some risks to try to make it work. And this is definitely one of those things where it's like both of us, me and Dustin, were like, we have to, we're putting our lives on the line here, like to make this happen. Mortgaging houses and doing everything we can to make it happen. And, you know, I think. All in all, it has strengthened our relationship because she got to watch me start home brewing and watch this dream build. Mm-hmm. And now it's here we are. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Like she's at she's at work now at Best Buy, and she's having conversations with her friends where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right, we are. We own brewery. <laughs> it's like it's not just small talk anymore. It's like yeah. you're a part of a brewery. So it's it's definitely done nothing, I think, but improve our relationship even through the hard times with mm-hmm. the sacrifices. So that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. well just jumping back, I want you've been at Swinging Bridge two years. You've or a little over your you're growing, you're building. What is what's been your biggest takeaway from the first two years, and how is that influencing like the next two years or the next five years? <sighs> we didn't get enough fermenters. <laughs> we did, and space. You know, like we we thought this was. You know, we thought we had a great plan in place and the right amount of equipment. And when things took off, it. Uh, Thank you. That our number one problem is we don't have enough space and we don't have enough beer. Mm-hmm. I so got a sledgehammer. We can knock out that back wall, no issue. <laughs> oh, I would love to. Believe me, I would love to. So, I mean, that's kind of, we're looking at things now going into the next couple of years is how can we produce more beer? I hear that Shackles will be uh, empty soon. (laughs) We we have been uh, having some contractors go out and bid out some new places for us and see what it would cost just to hypothetically move or even start Mm -hmm. a production facility somewhere else. And so those things are kind of in play right now. Um, One of the things we are going to do, there's another facility in Menominee that we've made arrangements with. So we're going to be able to produce 14 barrel batches of like say the Kolsch, the oatmeal mm-hmm. stout, like some very shelf stable beers, so that way, you know, we'll have a stock built up and we right. can pretty much catch up, you know, and then that will also boost our distribution sales and we can start saving money to move out. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, when you talk about moving out, are you thinking about would you ever move the tap room out of off of Main Street? As much as we love Main Street. Mm-hmm. Really, we we need to. It's a big space. Or, I mean, well, it's a it's a small space. It's a small space. Yeah, it's I beautiful. Mean, but I it's... think with employees, our capacity limit is fifty. Mm-hmm. So if any of you that were there on the grand opening, we definitely <laughs> over there. No, I don't try. So, it was totally forty nine people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it makes it tough. Like it, it, you know, when I'm behind the bar and the place is packed and it's great, everybody's having a good time. But then, like, say a group of six comes in. Yep. 
there's no place for them to sit. They're going to turn around and walk away. And like that's 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 what I think is really hurting us the most is our space mm-hmm. and availability. Uh, admittedly, so. I haven't looked. I I worked on or close to that same block uh, behind your building. Is it strictly employee parking, or could you, in theory, work with the city and do a patio esque st- space back there? <sighs> That's a touchy subject, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> well, no, that's that's a touchy subject. That those spaces belong to the building next door to us. Sure. So, and okay. she's not so neighborly. So that'll happen. We'll, we'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe got to build vertically. <laughs> See, we thought about that too, but yeah. historic I, buildings I've had that get conversation. Yeah, yeah. I've I've gone uh, down that route before in my old <clears throat> painting I will world and shit. Then you gotta get you gotta dig deep. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we thought about that too, putting fermenters in the basement. But I mean, and when you think about practicality, yes, see, getting them down there or even cleaning them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, like just the practicality of how it would work is it's no way. Our basically our only thing now is to find contract brewing and a bigger space. Right. So that's that's so hard because I will say from being one of the smaller spaces in town. It's beautiful, especially before like that five o'clock. Yeah. You know, you come in, we threw my, uh, the last day that I was at the university, uh, before I quit my job, we threw my last day party at Swinging Bridge. So we came nice. in and it was perfect because there was literally like three people at the bar. So we brought 20 people in and took over two tables and, <laughs> um, and it was awesome. And that's what I love that because it's not as much as I love Emma's. I'm not 21 anymore. I don't like being in there after 10 o'clock. Yep. You and know. see, that's kind of like what we were you like after being there too. at other times. I, I love going to Emma's at like four. If you stay in Emma's from four to nine thirty, you see the most amazing swath of humanity. I'd say a complete flip flop. I love there's three it. distinct changes. Like, yeah. I, I know, like if it's if Swing Bridge is really but. packed. I'll still wait around. Absolutely. Oh, no. Absolutely. If it's at Emma's, I will walk out. Yes. <laughs> yep. I've definitely, I've stood right by the door. Like, yeah. go get your beer and come back and stand right by the door. At that was, uh, I have definitely done that. The last trivia night. Like, uh, I, or a trivia night. I don't know. Time's weird. I was, uh, <laughs> I was at, like, trivia night. Like, it was packed, of course. And, mm-hmm. like, I was, like, standing by, like, the, by the door. And, like, yep. but, you know, yeah, that would not have done that for Emma's. True. Well, I appreciate that, guys. <laughs> we'll but yeah, so that's that's but that's in our heads. Like, how do we fix that? Yeah. You know, how and do we move past that? And that's the only thing we're looking. I mean, yeah. As much as we love Main Street, right. if we want more people in house, that's how we're gonna have to do it. Maybe then, uh, move the bar to the basement and just have upstairs. <laughs> Every, you got to walk past the whole brewing process. Oh, then we deal with those people <clears throat> in wheelchairs. Cool. Like, yeah, uh, there's um, capacity issues with that too. Right. What's the the joint at Mall America? Uh, sea World, not Sea World. Sea, <laughs> underwater uh, World. Underwater World, where you kind of you have this plexiglass dome. dome that you walk through, and you all this brewing equipment mm-hmm. around you. Oh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you walk through uh, for. <laughs> you get to see fermentation taking place. Have there have some like Disney music going yeah. on in the background? <laughs> no, but so talking about the idea of moving, how do you avoid? I don't think that uh, Rush River has a real problem with this, but there are things that I, for the longest time, I didn't even know Rush River existed. Right. Or I knew they were brewery. I didn't know they were a tap room. And it never. It's not the first place in, that comes to my mind when I think about. Hey, let's go out. So how do you how do you move to a bigger facility? How do you move off of Main Street and still draw the crowd? 
Well, that was one of the ideas that's in play is that we just open up a production facility. And I think by law, we have to sell so much beer out of it, you know, Mm -hmm. a year or something like that. So we would just try to follow those guidelines and still keep the Main Street tap room location and keep the smaller system as like a pilot system. Ah. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we've got all these ideas up in play. It's just, (laughs) you know, making the money first to play those. Right. Yep. Those options. So it keeps you in business longer when you have the money first, and then right, <laughs> right. Wait, I thought you're supposed to spend money first. Before. No, Gordon, that's why your paint business failed. Got it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now I know. Shit. <laughs> to backtrack a little bit, I mean, when you you're looking with Dustin to open up this, I mean, how much red tape did you have to navigate through to get things rolling and open up? I mean, and is there a handbook for this? There are a couple of people that have written books for it. Uh, one notably is Sam from Dogfish Head. And that's kind of what Dustin sort of based off of. Um, you just kind of take the parts you like and, you know, what you want and add upon that. Hmm. But as for red tape, owning a brewery, um, it has to be something that you want to do because to even start the red tape you need to have a down payment on your system and a lease signed for the space or have property so you have to have like basically your equipment is being manufactured and you have a property in mind Mm -hmm. for you to even start the licensing process wow yeah which and what's how, how drastically different is the licensing for a brewery versus a bar or a brew pub versus a bar well, it's drastically different. See, and that's that was one of the things I think we were talking about earlier in the off time was liquor licenses in town. Mm-hmm. We don't need a liquor license. Okay. We are a manufacturing facility that sells our product. So hmm. it's a completely different license. But it's there's so many of them popping up that you definitely need to have your ducks in a row mm-hmm. when your application review comes into process because if something's off you get put to the back of the list right and then it could take you know however long hmm. now, I know for breweries that are distributing uh, locally or nationwide labels and names of said beer all have to be approved and it from my understanding it's one person at the federal level I don't know if it if that's no, I wouldn't. Sense. I wouldn't say it's one person or, at the federal level, but there's only one branch at the federal one, level. One branch, sure. Uh, now you're not distributing really far, as far as I understand. We're not crossing the lines, right. so we so only do you right have, now. Do you need approval, like to name, uh, for example, hipster glasses? We're talking off off air. I mean, do you have to send that up to approval? To get that name, or can you? Are you able to operate more locally? I, right now, we're operating locally. So mm-hmm. if you know if there is a trademark infringement, we will cease that. You know, if we were, we haven't gotten a letter yet, but I mean, if if we do, <laughs> it's really simple. It's like okay, this is a tap room only release. We'll stop it. You mm-hmm. know, after that. But being is that we're only distributing in the state of Wisconsin. Really, we should only follow the state guidelines right. until we start crossing the lines. Once we cross the lines, <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know, like Minnesota or, you know, Michigan or anything like that, mm-hmm. then we got to follow the federal guidelines. So, right. And is that so we can talk about that? Are you going to follow like the new Glarus model and only distribute in Wisconsin or do you want to cross and expand? 
I think right now we're really enjoying Wisconsin. Um, it's not like we're short for demand. Right, <laughs> right, right. But uh, you know, that's a whole different. That's a whole different game getting into the Twin Cities yep. because it's every brewery has to be the best, you know. And it's there's so many gimmick breweries right now opening in the cities. It's trying to find shelf space for this little tiny brewery from River Falls, Wisconsin. It's like yeah, right. <laughs> so it's I almost. I'm enjoying the fact that I don't have to deal with that headache right now. Right. I mean, do you worry about that? I mean, right now we're not overly saturated in the River Falls, Hudson, I don't know, I guess St. Craig County, Pierce County region. I mean, you got you guys, Rush River, Pitchfork, Oliphant, and the um, Hop and Barrel. Uh, Barrel, and who's out in Roberts? Uh, Bobtown and. Barley John, Barley John. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't know if they're still operating out of their yep. Richmond location. Yep. I mean, do you worry about what happens if the St. Paul Minneapolis kind of scene, where you throw a rock and it's six breweries within that walking distance? I personally, I don't think, I don't think the towns, governments are going to let it get like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I am seeing is. Like the pre-prohibition days, where every town had its own brewery, right? You know, and if there's two, like say here in River Falls, we got Rush River. You know, nothing wrong with a little bit of healthy, healthy competition, mm-hmm. and that's not even that's not even on our radar. You know, that's a whole different type right. of ball game. That's a production style brewery, mm-hmm. and we're, I guess, you would say like boutique. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that's a good way to put it, right? Because we're smaller batches, we can afford different ingredients and play around a little bit more, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of cater to what the town wants. You know, right? So instead of what my distributor is beating down my neck, like, oh, I need this type of beer, and it's right. like you kind of lose focus and artistry at that point. You're doing what your distributor is demanding. Mm-hmm. And what so. I think is kind of cool with the the craft beer industry is there's this camaraderie. Within the breweries. Yeah. I mean, do you communicate with Rush River, for example, and say, hey, we want to do this beer fest. What do you guys have going on this weekend? See, I mean, you're not stepping on each other's toes. Is there anything like that? Yeah, I would say, you know, obviously, because we're, we all own our own businesses, there is a small amount of competition in the back of your obviously, head. Yeah. You know, you always want to do better than what... You, you want to put your Christmas lights up better than the neighbor. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, there, there always is that in the back of your mind. But, a friendly competition, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we all are in it for the same goal, is mm-hmm. to make beer and make money off it. And I think just having that same mindset in the industry is what gets us all along together so well. You know, like there's times where Hop and Barrel either one of us can call each other and be like hey I'm, I'm short on wheat can I come pick up a 50 pound bag yeah absolutely man you know so it's like we don't want to see mm-hmm. the other guy fail by right. any means you know it's like what we were just talking about this is my dream how could I be an individual to sit back and watch somebody else's dream fail because they don't have a bag of wheat and I do mm-hmm. you know it's like oh yeah I got your back man mm-hmm. so well, especially when you go to looking at um, the idea that the pre-prohibition, every town has their own brewery. Right. You know, we have two. Hudson is, has two. Two. Yeah. You know, like that idea of <clears throat> you're not necessarily losing business to Hop and Barrel and Swinging Bridge or uh, uh, yeah. and Pitchfork. 
<clears throat> so it's not it's not like that cutthroat competition. Right. So that's kind of nice that you can you can rib each other a little bit and be like, hey, my beer or like we both have the same style beer on, but mine's selling better than yours. Right. So. <laughs> right. Right. <clears throat> and that, that I like that. You know, it's fun. And I think piggybacking on that as well by having more breweries in the area will get the consumer out of their house and mm-hmm. wanting to travel and check out the new breweries. Right. So whether they stop into your place and have one or two and go to Hop and Barrel and have one or two and then go to Brewing Project and have one or two, mm-hmm. we all just benefited from just us being in the area. And that's right something on. I look forward when I'm on vacation somewhere. Like I, I went to um, uh, Colorado a few years back and I, oh, here's Great Divide. What other breweries are walking distance mm-hmm. okay i can check them out yeah, what are like a seven sh- of them yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's a short uber distance right. away yep. from there that i can go check out well that's the fun but you know the the idea of a destination brewery like i don't want to just go to another bar right and buy a pbr or a mcgolden or something like let's go and experience the local flavor that's the key word is <clears throat> they provide you a better experience right you know yep. there's nothing worse than being on like a longer road trip and like everybody wants to stop at a bar and it's just it's a bar where you gotta drink pbr or whatever yeah. instead of like craft beer yeah. right i could be doing this at home yeah like, you know there's way better to stop at a brewery yep yeah if i'm out at a you know, a concert like last Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, here's your. I'm I'm now burnt out on IPAs. I've had enough. What's the cheapest, shittiest thing I can find <laughs> on tap? Because my palate needs a minute to rest. It's like crackers between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, but yeah, like if I go to if I go to Madison or if I go to Colorado, where the fuck else did I go? Right. Anyway, Nashville. Yeah, I mean, hey, or, or Kentucky for a buddy's wedding. I go, hey, what's local? What can I get? I'm from Wisconsin. What doesn't distribute mm-hmm. out that way? Yeah. I want to have that. What'd and you get in Iowa? Uh, Pivo Brewing. Twisted is what you got in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a trap. That was just a trap. Uh, Pivo Brewing in, in where did you Cresco. get Cresco? Cresco. That was in yeah. Pivo was in Cresco. God, they were a they were a lot of fun. So if anybody listening goes down that way, that's what the cultural it. lesson for the day is that Pivo is check for beer. Yes. Uh, to to back up a little bit, Mike. Um, so you're on and correct me if I'm wrong. A Minnetonka brewing system is that right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, Are we going to go down I, this road? Here uh, we go. A little bit. Not okay. too much. Um, just curious. I mean, so what made you want to go with a Minnetonka being not a the most widely accessible system here in the Twin Cities, Western Wisconsin area? Now you're okay for those for the beer illiterate. You're going to have to explain what a Minnetonka system is. That too. Wife. Sorry. Okay. So. <clears throat> Minnetonka is a company based out of Minnetonka, Minnesota, that manufactures brewing equipment. Um, I was unfortunately not involved in that situation when Minnetonka was chosen. Uh, Also, too, I was naive at the time. Um, But um, there's basically like a platform online where you can put out what you're looking for and brewing company manufacturers will put a bid out oh. and you can suggest which company fits your bid. And my business partner chose them at the time and 
um, that's that's how we got hooked up through Minnetonka. Um, yeah, it's been an experience with them for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, I mean, so what's 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 different about a Minnetonka system than I don't know anything else? Quality. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, the the system when it works is it's an amazing system, hmm. but I think. These guys have a lot to learn in the game. Yeah. But okay. it, it's, it, I mean. It, <clears throat> so we're talking about a problem with low bid. It, yeah, basically. So yeah. <laughs> Minnetonka's all in all, they're like a, a broker. Mm. Okay. So they have contacts in China that manufacture the equipment and send it over. Oh. So okay. there's that gap in customer appreciation, I guess, or the customer relation. Um, because you don't get to see the product. Right. You don't get to see the product, and you don't actually get to know your manufacturer. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. All you know is you have this contact in Minnetonka, mm-hmm. and if something's wrong, they have to contact China. And right. it's like, it's all talk about red tape, going back Wolf, on that one. That sure. one's a, it's been an experience dealing with these guys. So, so. if I am now a sales rep for Minnetonka, uh, and I ask you, I want a five bullet point you know feedback that i'm going to send off to whoever's manufacturing i mean what would you say to them or (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) yeah get to know get to know your manufacturer in china Hmm. keep your quality standards up uh Customer relations. Um, that's that's off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. So if you were doing this again, if you were involved in the equipment purchase, what would you be looking at now? Um, well, for instance, there's what I would be looking for is to be able to water test my system before it gets to my property. So there's companies out there that will broker from China but have a, a location that the system gets delivered to and they hard pipe it to water and you can come out and make sure it's okay and give the thumbs up before it comes to your property. Mm-hmm. This Minnetonka, on the other hand, you make the order, the, the Chinese shipping container literally <clears throat> was dropped off on Main Street. It was like, poof, there you go. <laughs> I think you were even walking by the day that that thing got yeah, delivered. Been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was... That was it, honestly, it was a nightmare. You yeah. know, you got to block traffic and do all that. And it's so, I don't know. There's definitely a few things that they could be doing different. But Yeah. I mean, are there other breweries in the area that use the same system that you're able to go and kind of work with or talk to them about, about it? Yes and no. Uh, so, like, um, I would say Bigwood, Urban Growler, Lupulin. They all have Minnetonka systems, but they run off steam. So this is a different ballgame, what I have. I have the first one, even in the state of Wisconsin, is an oil-heated system. So it's an electric rather than steam. So what's the big difference between oil and and a steam system? Uh, Well, basically, steam is run off a generator, 
and you have to add chemicals to the steam to keep it from rusting and uh, all sorts of stuff. There, it's a it's a different ball game than what I have. My jackets on my kettles and mash tons and stuff like that are filled with an oil that is designed for heat transfer. Mm-hmm. So I have big, big. Imagine like two foot long water heater elements that are about nine thousand watts submerged in the oil to heat up the jackets. So like a, when the thing works, it's like a Swiss watch. I have precision temperature control. So, and on those days, like I might have walked in last fall, it's not working like a Swiss watch. I mean, <clears throat> what's it like? Well, that's. It, Aside from my brewing knowledge, I've had to learn a lot about electricity, thermodynamics, and watts per square inch. Like it's that's a whole different ball game now. So start learning some weird physics and <laughs> right. So it's not like I can call up any of my friends in the industry and ask them what they did with this problem or this issue because nobody else has it. My buddy John from Zymergy Brewing Company has the second one, so mm-hmm. at least. Me and him have he's a good rapport. Off of you. Right, right. Mm-hmm. We, well, he saw my system and then designed his off mine. So we at least have that rapport to be able to bounce ideas and technique off. Commiserate. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, has it gotten easy, easier at least for you? For the- yeah, we... We had some issues with the system in the beginning because, like I said, these guys... They're not, they're not engineers at it. They just kind of threw it together, and we're making it work. Mm-hmm. So over time, we've definitely tweaked the system to exactly what we wanted, and now we finally have... Uh, sorry. <laughs> we, we, have a, we have a very consistent product coming out now, right. and quality is up there, so it's, you know, I don't, I don't have to think about the quality of it anymore. But. Sure thinking about changing direction a little bit when you think about quality the the batch size that you're making like there are a lot of variables that can change in beer between batches how are you able to maintain quality maintain taste profiles yeah we got in between batches last episode with uh john and eric from that are hot farmers and you know you being especially on a commercial scale you look at yeah i mean you're not you're not aging 13,000 gallons yeah. like Budweiser or something or how I have no idea what the scale of, yeah, of or, or even, Rush River you know, is you're but still a craft brewery but <clears throat> you're still expected to create a consistent if I come product. in and get the Kolsch I want it to taste like the Kolsch I had three months ago absolutely I would say standards okay don't don't bend on your standards and that's that's my main thing is I I have a I, I put myself high a lot where I, I even beat myself up on beers a lot. Like if I if it doesn't meet my standards, it's I'm I'm a hard critic on myself. So mm-hmm. it's I've definitely dumped batches at Swinging Bridge because it wasn't up to what I wanted to to even pour myself a glass of. You know, so it's not about the money at that point. You know, but it's just consistency. Mm-hmm. Don't bend on something like. You know, if the Kolsch is a standard recipe, but you don't have say Northern Brew or hops for it, don't substitute. You know, make something else. Don't right. do not do that, you know, so that way you stick to your standards. You know, and that's how we've been kind of... Is it fairly easy for you to adjust your brew schedule? I mean, you're, let's say I have my calendar up here. 
on week one i'm gonna brew this week two i'm gonna brew that blah blah blah. uh oh shit i don't have hops for week one let's change the calendar up right real quick and is that i think fairly easy for for us yeah being the size system that we have Mm -hmm. i'm able to do that a little bit more freely than other breweries especially not having a distributor on my back telling me you know what i need to brew so that's that's a nice freedom to have is I do create my own schedule and if we are short on an ingredient I will look at either creating a new recipe or brew something else that we have in stock. Nice. Yeah. To jump ahead a little bit um hipster glasses we we're kind of talking off air a little bit about that. I mean every time you brew it you kind of do it a little differently. Was that a project you said hipster glasses i want to play around with it going down or was that a here's the base and then six months later well we don't have everything here but we can certainly play around with it i mean how did that kind of birth itself no project hipster glasses right from the start was just a beer that we wanted to have fun with whether it be with different ingredients or technique and Mm -hmm. every time we do it it may be a small tweak, but at least we do something a little different to it to try to bring a different flavor profile out or appearance or something. So, I mean, the beer in its past has been a Northeast IPA where it's hazy. This time around, it's not. We double dry hopped it. We've taken, we've done different hopping techniques in the kettle, different hopping techniques in the fermenter, whether it be during primary fermentation to get the biotransfer we're looking for or whether it be a hop stand where you cool the wort down to 180 degrees and you hop it and leave it sit for 20 minutes then cool it down again another 10 degrees add more hops then whirlpool i mean we've tried it's just a a beer that we get to i guess exercise our talents with Mm-hmm. And going into, you know, this time we're going to dry hop it. We're not going to do Northeast. Is that something you have in mind going into it? Or is it more off the fly? Uh, I want to try this today kind of deal. No, yeah, we definitely plan ahead. Mm-hmm. We plan ahead for sure. Right. So <clears throat> since we're talking about the, the actual beer, the, the two questions pressing in my mind are, what's your favorite beer to make? And what is the most popular beer you make? All right. Well, I'll start with the most popular just because that's easy. The most popular <laughs> beer I make is the Blood Orange IPA, Ooh, yes. which is horrible. Nobody should go drink that. I will drink it for you. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was honestly a happy accident how that all happened. Um, I attended a homebrewers conference that was headquartered here in the cities, and there was an extract puree company that was there. And they had a blood orange puree that was just phenomenal. And we ended up making a firkin out of it for like a Friday infusion. And nine gallons disappeared in an hour and a half. Which, for the record, for your firkin Fridays, I'm still pissed off. I missed out on your, was it a stout or brown ale on peanut butter and... 
cacao nibs, I think. Yep. Yep. Was I was like, <laughs> I can't, you were open for two and a half, three hours. I came in 45 minutes after that. Yep. And it was gone. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right yeah, now? Yeah, <laughs> that's the frickin' some of them when they were a hit, they disappear that fast. And that's why we decided to go to infusions. And we're, we're just doing it in a keg now, which gives us a little bit more volume. And temperature-wise as well. You know, the beer won't get warm. From a brewer standpoint, is it easier doing infusions versus doing a cask style? Or is there any advantage or disadvantage? Disadvantages, yeah, doing it in a keg. i got to watch what I put in the keg to make sure that it won't clog the lines, you know, or do it properly within, like, a bag and put it in the hops, you know. But... Mm. um, and, and I've seen that with uh, or listened to uh, homebrew podcasts where they kind of use like a, a tea bag for the hop, dry hopping their keg and they put it they have it basically checked off at a certain amount so as the keg goes down the dry hopping will eventually go below that line I mean can you do that on a commercial scale yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um, with the kegs that we have the spiles go all the way down to the bottom so it's if you do it properly, it shouldn't clog anything. So, yeah, that they, I'm enjoying kegging them more now than the firkins. Because, for one, I don't have the temperature control like a lot of breweries do to keep the firkin at a steady temperature. So, I really don't like wasting that much beer. If the firkin's right. not a hit, you know, and it's not selling as much, you know, then we're stuck with, you know, six gallons sitting in there. So, mm-hmm. so I have a question. Is there a beer that you hate to be to brew or that is like just the most difficult one to brew. Maybe if you, maybe you don't necessarily hate it, but, um, yeah, I guess for a while there, Cleary's dry Irish stout, you know, I really wanted it to be a sort of a special beer. People would get excited about, and it's our most expensive grain bill that oh, we yeah. do it's mm. it really maxes the mash ton out and we're right to the top of the mash ton and it got I, I kept getting pushed to brew it constantly constantly and it to me i wanted it to be a little special but you know so we kind of changed the game there a little bit and pulled out the oatmeal stout which is a, mm. a little bit mm-hmm. more feasible grain bill and then you know it also puts the hype back on right Cleary's Dry Irish Stout. Mm-hmm. Which, but that Cleary's Irish Stout is great. It is yes, amazing. it is. It is a fantastic beer. <laughs> Just pull that out every March, and I won't argue too much. <laughs> yeah, see? See, and that, like, I have, like, ideas, too, where I want to, like, imperialize it, add a little more oh. alcohol to it, a little more body and barrel <laughs> I, really com- <laughs> I will never complain about an imperial. I definitely had maybe a couple too many on Saint pa- this recent St. Patty's Day. <laughs> it sounds like you had just enough. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I actually had too much of, of everything is Maybe, just enough, right? Too much, <laughs> too much was going for Guinness afterwards at a different bar. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. So we've talked about the most popular is the Blood Orange. Yep. Your least favorite is brewing Cleary's all the time. Did I miss your personal favorite beer to make? My personal favorite beer to make is Captain Tripp's Chocolate Toasted Coconut Stout. Because, mm. it's again... Horrible beer. <laughs> Don't yeah. drink it. Or I will jump on that grenade for all the listeners out there. I mean, for that one, we really do source out like 
as truest ingredients as we could. This year, we were able to source unsweetened coconut flakes from the Philippines. Some of the best coconut I've ever had. And then we even incorporate the local cookie place in town, Mimi's Cookies, to toast it for us. (laughs) And then when the beer's done fermenting, uh, well, I'll backtrack a little bit. We even use Hershey's cocoa powder. <laughs> so it's not even like, you know, we go get like family fresh version or something like that. Mm-hmm. We get the actual Hershey's cocoa powder and put that in in the last 10 minutes of the boil. Ooh. For me, I think that gives more chocolate flavor than cocoa nibs. Mm-hmm. I think you get a tinny yeah. metal type flavor from cocoa nibs. So mm-hmm. we went with that instead. And then coming back to the coconut after it's toasted, we essentially dry hop it and let it sit for five to seven days on the toasted coconut. So yes, it's a fun one to make. How does that? So again, as a, as a relative beer noob, other than a consumer of, um, I understand adding, you know, hops and, and grain, but how do you add things like coconut? You just, I mean, same way you just throw it in. Yeah. Same thing as like when it's done fermenting, um, I'll start putting head pressure on the fermenter so there's a blanket of CO2 over the top. And then we have these nylon bags that are basically like cheesecloth, but nylon and very porous. So I'll just put all the coconut in. I think it was 50 pounds of coconut this year. No, 20. Yeah, something like 50 pounds. It was a ridiculous amount. (laughs) And then we put that all in the bag and then tie it off Uh and put it in the beer and just let it sit. All right. And then how does the conversation go as, as looking at just a being a local business and saying, hey, we don't have the equipment to toast our own coconut. How do you go and approach another business about like, hey, we've got all this coconut. We need it toasted. Will you do this for us? And then like give us a bag of cookies. Yeah, actually, that, that that's a fantastic question because that's it's neat how we work that out is we correlate with the cookie shop Mimi's cookies by the way in River Falls. Amazing. Yeah, the cookies are as big as your head. (laughs) Um so we try to plan out like a dual release. So she'll do a cookie that will pair well with the beer. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, saying, Well you toast the coconut for me and then you know we'll promote your business as well Mm -hmm. and sell your cookies at the brewery with the beer. So it's a win win situation for all of us. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And all you need to do is find a good cookie to make with spent grains, and there you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can just do I don't some know trading. Can, I don't know if I can handle a beer or a cookie that tastes like beer. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's like a, like a, if it's like an oatmeal cookie. All um, right. All right. Yeah. yeah, it's probably it's probably doable. A little stout in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't argue much. I don't <laughs> think so. I what? have had uh, bread made from spent grains, and there's a brewery that does uh, uh, their pizza dough, pizza uh, crust. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, who who the hell does that? Uh, pop, 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 pop. I'm not sure. Is it the it. one in Red Wing? Yes. Is yes. it Red, Red Wing Brewing? Thank you. Or brewing or pizza? It is one of those two. They do both. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, so we've talked about your specialty beers uh, and stuff and such. Uh, what are your kind of your state? I mean, do you have any staples? But what can people find on tap when they come into the brewery? Always, you can always find oatmeal stout will be on the Kolsch, Blood Orange, and Four Winds. Those are our four mainstays. Um, 
we do like to go a little seasonal with things, you know, when stout season comes around, we'll pull out the stouts. Uh, one of our new ones we got in rotation now after St. Patrick's Day is the Irish Blonde Ale. That one's nice. It's like 90% of the ingredients are sourced from Ireland. Um, the Berliners are always fun. We like to do the sours, uh, you know, either base malt or um, base versions that you can put the syrups in or we heavily fruit them to do like a Florida style. Um, uh, the IPAs, always going to be on. You'll find nice IPAs. Porters, we do a peanut butter porter every now and then. Um, awesome. Yeah, that one's good too. So yeah, you always find an uh, th- there'll always be a diverse range of styles, not just you know your IPA or your sour. Yeah, how often are you rotating new beers on tap? Um, I would say well, we've got a big repertoire since we've opened. I think there's well over sixty different beers now that we've put out. So right now, new beers coming out are going to be far and few between, but like some of the older styles we're pulling out. So basically every week you'll see a new beer come on due to the size of our, our system. We have that luxury, you know? So when you guys come in and drink them mm-hmm. <laughs> within a week, we've got a new style on. So right. and How, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> I was just going to ask. So you also have the benefit of featuring other breweries. Well, we do. And uh, actually every brewery in Wisconsin does. Okay. They do. Um, and that was, Part of our business plan in the beginning, because we had such a large tap wall, we eventually wanted to fill it. But in the beginning, we didn't aesthetically want it to look like an empty tap wall. So we did invite our friends in the area, just the local community, Mm -hmm. to kind of come in and fill up the tap wall. That was going to be my question. How do you choose who, who comes in? Yeah, well, we did have, I would say Nuglaris obviously was the biggest one, but we've had Brewing Project, we've had Hop and Barrel, we've had Pitchfork, Mm -hmm. Oliphant. I mainly wanted to stick into the local area to kind of drive business for them, too. Okay, that's cool. Is it a big legal issue having guest taps on, or or is it fairly simple where you can, uh, for, um, I guess, horse trade between another brewery? No, it's it's actually very simple. State law says that you can have any Wisconsin brewery made beer on at your tap room. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like Hop and Barrel or Pitchfork, you know, if it's made in Wisconsin, they can have it on tap. Huh. Otherwise, that's where the red tape issue starts coming into play because like, you know, earlier in the conversation, we said, you know, this isn't a liquor license. It's a manufacturing right. license. Sure. So anybody who holds that same license, we're allowed to have them on tap, too. Is there a avenue for you to go to? So I really like uh, Barrel Theory, for example, and you want to have them on tap. Is there a way for a Wisconsin brewery to be able to do that cross state lines? Or is it just such a nightmare Nobody on either side of the border goes, let's just not even bother with it. Honestly, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole. Um, Mm -hmm. But as far as I know, a Wisconsin brewery can only have another Wisconsin Wisconsin brewery on. Hmm. Under that venue, if anyone, Swinging Bridge included, if anyone wants to bring Lakefront's uh, Fuel Cafe and put it on tap, (laughs) I will be very happy. Duly noted. (laughs) (laughs) That was one that was when I lived in Platteville every now and again, for whatever reason, the distributor that brought Lakefront in 
they brought something else in as well, but they would never bring Fuel Cafe. And every now and then, like, a, a box would fall off the truck at the local liquor store, and I would be very, very happy. <laughs> Good beer. <clears throat> you know, when you make friends with the, the locals, owners, sometimes you get what you want. Yeah. For those hard-to-get beers, I mean, do you guys, are you doing any bottle releases throughout the year? Yeah, yearly we do Captain Trips. Um again is horrible nobody go buy it it's fine i will buy them for you it's yep. okay uh last year we we had two other bottle releases come out um one was a sour it was a berliner with cherry and lime mm. that, that was the drive-in drive yep okay. yep and then the other one we did was a very special beer to us it was soul rocket um a friend of mine it's an ipa with all citra hops. Um, it basically came from, I had a friend in town who unfortunately uh, committed suicide and left a family behind. And before he did, I when I was in my home brewing stages, I would bring my beer over to his house, and uh, this was the one beer that he absolutely loved of mine. Drank Budweiser like it was no other, but this one he loved of mine. So I always kept that recipe in the back pocket. And then once I opened the brewery, um, it just it felt right that I needed to do something to, to, to help or to just, I don't know. I guess I don't know what where I, I wanted to do something for them because they were so supportive of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we brew this beer, and the first time we did it, it was just sold in house out of pints, and we charged six dollars for it, and a dollar of every pint would go to the family. And, and speaking of helping out, uh, it was last November, December, uh, November. Uh, you were kind enough to donate a free growler fill. To of beer choice to a little charity fundraiser that I was putting together, which was huge and went over extremely well with everyone. So, well, on the subject again, yeah, no, and that's 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 a lot of the mission statement of Swinging Bridge is to be community supportive because the community supports us. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just an awesome way for us to give back if you know we can get people together and have a good time and have it beer centered. And still be able to help, like an organization or a family or something. That's like, that's, yeah. we couldn't ask for more, you know. On that vein, being community focused, can you talk about? I don't know if it's still, I haven't been in it in a while. Um, can you talk about the chalkboard? Yeah, the pay it forward board. Yeah. That was uh, a really cool idea. Um, did that start and, and, from within brewery, or did somebody bring that up to you? Yeah, guys? we actually kind of, we witnessed it at a re- at a restaurant that wasn't a brewery, and we kind of just piggybacked on it and made it work for us, and it's taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, the police and the fire department they fight with each other. I was gonna say I think the fire department <laughs> one is always empty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those guys come in and drink a lot, but it's it's always funny to watch it like. The police have to have more money than the fire department or, you know, some of the, the, the random ones that'll come up. Uh, like we had an astronaut on there. So if you were an astronaut, you could have had a beer. That thing was <laughs> Did on there. Did anyone take that in? No, and we even thought on Halloween we were going to see it. And, and we waited for it and it never happened. But, you know, it's just funny. So, like, 
it's really kind of free game. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you have something in your head and you're like, oh, yeah, single moms. How does, single so moms how does it work? So, like, if I come in and I, I'm enjoying beers and having a good time and I see the board and I want to put $5 on a topic that I want or the police, I just let the bartender know and they'll either write it up there or add the money to the proper column. Okay. And then when someone from that organization or something that that profile fits like Mm -hmm. a single mom or TSA agent that's up there now or something like that they're allowed to profit from those beers that's like basically buying a beer for somebody who's not there okay so I'm asking for a friend of mine is that <laughs> still up there asking on the board for a friend who's like a friend who's like looking at Halloween costumes for Halloween is astronaut still on the board astronaut is not on the board we dissolved that one because oh, we bummer. never saw it we just saw a guy that was kind of a little more drunk, you know. We're like, well, you're about an astronaut right now, so you. <laughs> That's right. The only effort I'd put into the astronaut is the SNL skit where, like, it was just a plastic bag over somebody's head. Oh. For children. That, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one now. Going back. <laughs> Waited to re- derail the yeah. conversation, Carlos. Just not DOO, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> right. Uh, Mike, you know, you've been open for two years now. I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced and overcome? And what are some of the biggest rewards that you've found? I mean, be, you're, you're living the dream by a lot of people's standards that, have, that homebrew with the dreams and aspirations of one day becoming a brewer for a living. I'd say... Some of the biggest hurdles we come over was, you know, getting the work done. You know, a lot of people in their heads or when they're dreaming about this profession don't know what goes on on the back end to actually make it happen. So, you know, learning from your mistakes and making the correct choices after the fact, you know, that's definitely been a big hurdle just because neither me or Dustin owned a brewery before this. So this is, you know, we're only going off of what we think will work, you know. So that's definitely, I think, been a big hurdle for us. But getting through it, the rewards, I mean, just sitting. My favorite thing to do is to come in the tap room without any swinging bridge stuff on so no one knows who I am. And watching everybody enjoying themselves and having a good time and, you know, drinking the beer and just kind of like looking back, it's it's almost surreal. Like, you know, I did it. You know, like this this is my reward is like mm-hmm. everybody in here, regardless of what they're celebrating, what they're out there doing and having a good time is that they chose my facility to come and drink my beer and have that good time. So it's like that's that's my biggest reward for it. Mm-hmm. And. Anyone listening out there, they're they're home brewing or they're on, they've been brewing for a while, but they're on the fence of working at a brewery or they want to move into opening or working full time. I mean, do you have any advice for them? Hmm. It's not what you think it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's not what you think it is. Um, Getting into the industry, it can be pretty grunt type work. But if this is your passion and this is something you want to do, 
do it. Put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Get into homebrew clubs. Get into homebrew competitions. Improve your beer. Do everything you can if this is something that you want to. This is not an industry that you can half-ass because it will show. It definitely will show. So my best advice to you is if this is something that you want to do, give it your all. 110%. I mean, what are some good ways for somebody out there? With, like For me, example, I have no experience brewing. I mean, I, I, I poured beer at a tap room for a while, but I mean, that doesn't. Even, well, that's your first that that's yeah. your first thing you can do is I but would if say someone's out there that hasn't even done that. I mean, what's the best way for them to get their foot in the door at a brewery? That would be the best thing right there is entry level brewing uh, positions, whether it being pouring beer or washing kegs or whatever. Get into the facility and be a good person, be a good a, a good worker there, so they they know you because most breweries will hire from within. So if you're if if you do a good job, they'll want you in other aspects of the position. So, you know, do whatever you can to get in, you know, on the, the entry level. Or there's the other route too where you can, you know, get into college and learn brewing school and then, you know, basically email blast every brewery out there, you know, <laughs> like here's my resume. You know, and it might not be the brewery you want to work at or the beer that they're making, but you're in the industry. And that's the key thing. Once you're in the industry, your name starts to get out there. For some reason, they look at you as, you know, like a famous person. And (laughs) it's really, I just make beer, you know. No, and it's funny, like, you know, talking about people in the industry, you know, uh, I talking to somebody that's kind of a nerd I'm drinking a Swing Bridge beer oh where'd you get that oh it's Swing Bridge down at uh, uh, River Falls Wisconsin oh I've never been there well funny story I'm friends with the head brewer Bob and I'm like (laughs) who the fuck is this schmuck (laughs) I still think that about you you know you get that with the the Todd's of of War Pigs and uh, or uh, um, what Ken from Sierra Nevada or yep. the Sam's from the Dogfish Heads. I mean, yeah, they like put them on a pedestal. Yeah, within you know, the I, industry, it's it's like the Hollywood celebrities. Yeah, right. and in my opinion, I think that's kind of you know what turned Todd Office early. They branded him, you know, and it's it's about it's the like beer. There's an IPA right. named after him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Uh, where can listeners find Swingbridge if they're interested in checking out? Well, we have a webpage, uh, swingingbridgebrewing.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, and we're located right downtown River Falls, right on Main Street, uh, next to Grateful Bread and mm-hmm. Fox Den Books. And this year, uh, 2019, do you have any events coming up or beer fest that you're going to be part of that folks can check you out at? Yeah, actually, there's one coming up that uh, isn't really publicized yet that we are finalizing all the details on. Uh, we'll be at Apple River called the Freak and Float Fest. Uh, June 22nd, every brewery that's in the St. Croix Valley area should be there. So this is a first of its kind. We're basically no Minnesota breweries, just us in this regional area. Um, 50 bucks is going to get you into the festival, a float down the river, and a campsite. 
So we're going to do this the, the Wisconsin way. <laughs> you can come to a beer fest and drink as much as you want, and we will provide a place to stay. Awesome. There you go. Yep. So that's a fun one coming up. Uh, Osceola, that's another fun brew fest we're going to be a part of. Um, you know, we talked about some of the beers coming out. We've got a blueberry pomegranate Berliner Weiss coming out. Um, sounds terrible. Yeah, I heard drinking this. Put it in my car. That's fine. <laughs> and there, there is one that's on the designing table right now called Turtle in the Clouds, which will be a double dry hop, double IPA with some new brewing techniques. And awesome. Well, Ben, Carlos, I mean, do you guys have any other questions for uh, Mike? No, the only one I was going to ask was events, and we just covered that. Yeah. Although I see that on Facebook that you guys have, like, food trucks on Fridays, like, and I've been missing out on Fridays, apparently. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing this year we're trying out. Um, not too frequently, just because we don't want the city to get upset with us, you know, with the other <laughs> businesses in town and whatnot, but... Uh, we do have some friends in the uh, food truck industry that, you know, being a community-supported brewery, we also want to support those guys that are starting their own businesses, like the Big Cheese and Smoky Treats. Both are fantastic food trucks here in this town that were based out of here. So, um, yeah, every once in a while, you'll see us put up a food truck. I think uh, May 19th is our next one. No, no. May 10th. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. May right. 10th, the Pita this Pit. Friday. Yeah, this Friday, the Pita Pit will be there from Hudson. So, folks, if you're in the Twin Cities, Western Wisconsin area, uh, you're listening to this episode, it's Thursday, uh, May 9th. So, tomorrow, go check it out, River Falls, Wisconsin. I yep. might have to bike down there. Yeah, they got a great Philly cheesesteak sandwich, and then... um. Yeah, Smoky Treats, he's amazing. I think he'll be back on May 19th. And then we also have the big cheese lined up, too. So, Ooh. And those are like gourmet grilled cheeses. Oh, all right. I'm there. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> crazy, <laughs> crazy good sandwiches. Oh, hey, look at that. My schedule just <laughs> opened up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the Smoky Treats is the barbecue one on here? Yes. Right. Yep. They were just there last uh last week and they sold out of food wow nice yeah he does these amazing poppers that have chorizo three different cheeses and they're wrapped in bacon all right yeah it's not your mama's popper that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and mike your trivia wednesdays is that every wednesday or is that a monthly year? every wednesday every wednesday we alternate callers um we have olivia and a new girl i think her name is jamie i haven't met her yet so <laughs> yep so every Wednesday we have trivia, and then Thursdays we do Mug Club Night. So if you're a Mug Club member and you have a punch card, on your 10th punch you get a free beer, and then you're entered into a drawing at the end of the month for a free appetizer. Awesome. Yep. Well, thanks again, Mike, for taking time out of your evening to come down and spend with us here in the studio. And for anyone else you listening at home, you can find this episode at BlindNinjaStudios.com, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and CastBox. You can also watch the live recordings every Sunday, uh, or well, not every Sunday, but when I post about it. <laughs> <laughs> and join the conversations on Twitch.tv slash Rules of the Arena. Uh, if you want to keep up to date on new episodes and guests, make sure to give me a like and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Rules of the Arena Podcast. 
Uh, this show is supported by listeners like you. I couldn't do it without your support. Uh, really, it helps me out every time you give me a five-star review on iTunes or podcast reviewer of your choice. It bumps me up in the rankings, allowing other people to find it. And if you don't think it's worth five star, five stars, please shoot tell them it email. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to him. Uh, <laughs> please shoot me an email. Or if you have any comments, questions, show ideas, please, I want to hear from you. Shoot me an email directly at roapodcastinfo at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show directly, uh, please go to patreon.com slash rules of the arena. It's just a little tip jar I set up. It's just a buck a show. That's all I ask or a buck a month. Uh, Either way, it helps out immensely. And this episode has made, been made possible by Blind Ninja Studios, where you can find this show and others such as Department of Defense, Homebrew Bound, Soundwave, and Legends of Lothos. And you should also go check out uh, sponsor of the show, Duck Hill Workshop, a small-scale saw- sawmill and builders of fine furniture. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram, Duck Hill Workshop. And don't forget to subscribe to their YouTube, ta- YouTube channel, where you can watch episodes of Workshop Wednesday and In the Shop with Ben and Glenn. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. I'll catch you next time. Outro music.